Have you ever wondered why many of your learners have a hard time with choice? Real, genuine, authentic choice. Are we actually giving our learners choice? Are we giving them the opportunity to learn how to use choice? If we aren't, maybe we're part of the problem. We're going to explore the significance of choice and how important it is that we give our learners choice, voice, through authentic learning opportunities. And in doing so, they'll take ownership of their learning. Welcome to another session of the Learner's Mindset Discussion. I'm Dr. Dwayne Harapnik, and my colleague is... Dr. Talissa Thibodeau. I'm excited about our topic today. And the reason I'm excited about it is that it focuses on something that really can make a difference in a learner's life. That's choice. And the reason that it's so important is that if we don't give our learners choice, well, then there's a tendency for them not to take ownership. And also, in order to give students really effective choice, we have to look at what are we giving them a choice of. Authentic learning opportunities are, you know, the context that really provide true and genuine choice. Um, and, and I think these are, this is really important. So um, what are your thoughts on choice and where do we want to go today with our discussion of choice? I think it's great that you set up the context the way that you did, because the first thing I thought of in hearing that was, you know, choice plays a big part in uh, students and learners developing their voice and who they are and making decisions about things that affect them and other people, um, especially when they're put into um, an opportunity to make decisions. They have to be able to you know, lead change and make decisions um, and, and, and look at some of those bigger picture perspectives that um, mold and shape um, where they're going and what, they, what they're looking to do. So I'm excited to talk about this today. This is a good one. Yeah, I, I think this is really important. And, and the reason that this is sort of on the top of my mind is I, I read a, uh, an article today, either it was in the Chronicle of Higher Ed, or it might have been in Sun Edge, or one, one of the kind of learning or academic type uh, publications that talked about the fact that um, businesses, the, the corporate world is screaming for students who have the ability to think critically and analytically they can uh, use their own initiative, the human skills, right? Businesses are saying that graduates uh, who are coming out of our system, our university system, our, our higher education, our, our, actually our K-12 system, aren't able to think for themselves. They aren't able to solve problems. Um, they aren't able to you know, uh, conduct those human capacities. And I think choice plays a very significant role because if you take a look at our K-12 environment and then post-secondary, we spend an awful lot of time preparing students to find that right answer. This is what you need to know. This is what you regurgitate. There's not a lot of choice that goes on in that. There's not a lot of thinking that goes on in that. Students are really great at finding that answer at the back of the book that they're not supposed to look at, you know, as, as uh, Ken Robinson would talk about. But in that, in that capacity that they have developed to give us what we are asking them in terms of the regurgitation, we are ignoring the fact that making a choice and all that goes into it, having to make a decision, having to analyze, having to weigh out the odds, having to prioritize, having to actually problem solve, that's part of making that choice. 
by asking students to regurgitate information and in this whole standardized information retrieval and regurgitation process that we utilize, we are killing students' ability to choose. Have you seen that? Have you seen that in, in your experience? And Because I know I have, but I'll let you go first. Well, in my experience, yes, you touch on some important topics because a lot of times we limit um, learning to what are the knowledge and skills needed to pass this test. And you and I, you know, we go back to the argument of what are we doing to prepare learners for life? Well, since I've graduated high school, I've made tons of choices that impact my life, my future, um, my job, everything. And it, it, I feel like we're squandering that opportunity early on if we're just making the choices for our students. Because then who really, we talk about this before, then who really owns the learning <laughs> um, when that happens? So, you know, I've seen, and I've done this myself before I took an in-depth look into choice and looked at some of the research behind it. I found that, you know, giving my kids a choice board is not really, you know, giving them an opportunity to make a choice. You know, they're, it's kind of predetermined. And, and then the kids pick something off of that. So yeah, they're exercising a choose one or choose two, option one or two. That's not really something that they're choosing for their own and something that they're investing in to, to build and create on their own terms. That's, I think, where I, I have seen this come up. And this has come up in classes too, and in my own experience. So you touch on a, an important topic here. And, I'm, I'm glad you've pointed out that this comes up and, and, and the choice board, choosing between one or two options really isn't a choice. And I know in the digital learning and leading program, the DLL program, as we refer to it, one of the challenges that our students have until they sort of get over that hump of taking ownership is that they don't know how to choose. And they're really not sure what it is that they should do. And, and there is some angst that some students experience. Oh, Dr. H, just tell me what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it. You know, that type of an attitude. And when we give our learners the choice, there's a lot more involved. They have to actually look at things critically, look at things analytically. What is it that they can do? What is it that they want to do? What is going to benefit their audience? Who is their audience? The, the, the amount of choice that comes into play with authentic learning opportunities is so significant that it often makes students feel quite uncomfortable. And, and I think that we are seeing the fact that these critical and analytical thinking skills that the business world wants, we're not getting those because we're not giving our learners the opportunity to choose because we're not giving them an opportunity to work on those real world projects authentic learning opportunities that make a difference in their lives and the lives of people around them. Choice plays such a significant role in authentic learning that I don't think you can have one without the other. And with authentic learning, you do have the opportunity for choice. So, you know, this sort of dovetails with our last week's learner's mindset discussion on authentic learning. Um, and once students get the opportunity to make that authentic choice and they own it uh, changes everything, changes everything. But there's that fear, there's that apprehension because what if I choose wrong? What if I choose wrong? <gasps> What's gonna happen? You're gonna make a mistake, <laughs> but that's okay. That's something that is so foreign to a lot of our students. You mean I, I can make a mistake and I'm not gonna fail the assignment? No, because quite often, if you don't make that mistake, if you don't make a choice, then you don't have an opportunity to make the mistake. If you don't make the mistake, you're not going to have that opportunity to make the adjustment and to make the improvement. Oh, it, it's, it's 
such a complex thing, and yet it's so simple. It comes down to real-world authentic learning and a real choice. Oh, we're missing an opportunity, or, or a lot of people are missing an opportunity. Uh, anything you want to add to that before we start touching on a couple other things? Yeah, I was thinking that, you know, students have the choice on whether or not they're going to sit stagnant or fail forward. You know, they, have, they can choose to take those uh, challenges and turn them into opportunities. You know, and, and that's, that's navigating that choice process too. Okay, well, path A didn't work, let me try path B. They have to come up with that in their brain. And what's difficult sometimes is it's so easy to default to, what does the professor need me to do so that I can get my A? I find that those students don't want to make choices. They fight choice. But when they do get over that hump with the encouragement and the feed forward that we share and give them, and they get over that hump, then they're making choices left and right to uh, impact the organization or, or build out their authentic learning opportunities that they were really passionate about. So choice kind of is a reflection, in my opinion, of their passions and what they want to do and who they want to become, who they aspire to be. And that, that's an important part of helping our learners see the bigger picture. Sometimes I think, you know, what do I have to do to get the A and what path do I need to take to get where you want me to be, professor? Doesn't always work, especially not in this program if we want to prepare our learners for life. I think it's so important that you mentioned that the student voice comes into play and who the student really is. I think when we give our learners that opportunity to choose, or we give them choice through those authentic learning opportunities, when they do take that risk, right? When they do fail forward, when they do have to make the adjustment, when they do have to really think critically, analytically, and, and move forward and pivot and, and you know, um, deal with the challenges that real life presents them, then when they reflect on that and they talk about it, they write about it, they create a video about it, they share it with others, they get to know who they really are and their voice comes through. Oh, it's an amazing thing to see that progress. And you and I have seen it. You know, we have students at the very beginning of the program who oh, just tell me what I need to do. And then two or three courses in, when they really take ownership, it changes. And then once they really take ownership and they hit that cold dead hands experience where you're not taking away my project, no way, this is mine. I've chosen this, I'm working on this. Once they've hit that point, their voice really comes into play. And I think they really blossom. They grow. The growth that we see is almost exponential. It sort of hits a point where they're fighting it, fighting it, and then boom, they choose and they move forward. And then it's a huge leap. And it really makes a difference. And then they're recognizing, oh, Dr. H, I need to actually change my innovation plan. That's not going to work. It's a good thing I figured this out right now because if I were to keep on going down this path, it would have dire ramifications. And guess what? It's not a problem. I can make this decision, this choice to make a change, and it's going to be easy to make the change because now I have a better idea of what I'm really doing. So they're starting to recognize from a real-world experience that making that choice, making that error, failing forward, man, that's just life. That's just life. That's the world they live in. And then they realize they can survive it in this master's course. And they can still get an A and they are still making a difference in the world. It just changes everything. It's so exciting to see those pieces come together. So choice plays a very significant role. Um, I, I wish we could get students to that point sooner or, or maybe they just need to experience that sooner. What are your thoughts on that, the, the, the time component? You know, I think what works against students in this situation is they come from a, you know, information transfer model within a school, 
and they have a hard time even realizing what it means to give their own learners choice. So when we give them those opportunities, they're having a hard time conceptualizing what does that look like? Because in my traditional world as a teacher, I tell the kids what to do and how to do it. And, and then I give them feedback on whether or not they met those, you know, rubric checkoff list of what they were supposed to do to meet the, the criteria for the assignment. So, and that's the world that we operate in as teachers. When we come into a master's program that's saying, all right, let, you know, you're giving me an opportunity to explore and grow and experience a new culture of learning on my own terms. You mean you're giving me choice? Oh, they pedal back a little bit. I can do this, but I have to take some risks. So one of the questions that I have with the, with the timeline and one of the, the observations I've made in, in conversations with students is that, how do I realize choice? How do I give my kids in my classroom choice? And perhaps if we start having some of those conversations in the program, then some of our students might be able to start experiencing um, choice in their learning a bit early on in the program when you mentioned the timeline. So having those conversations early on about what does that mean? What does this look like? I think would be helpful. I think those conversations are really important and, and I think we can do it. We can do a better job. We can have more of them, but when, yeah. what I have learned, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to confirm this is that when we do go down that path and we have those conversations about what does it mean to give your learner choice? So you've experienced choice here in the DLL program, but what does it mean when you give your learner choice? One of the first things that comes up is the fact that, Oh my God, I have to let go of some control. Oh, yes. oh no, that, that means if I really give my learners choice, that means that, that I don't have total control over everything that's happening. That's a scary thing because I think quite often we've created an environment where our teachers are so closely monitored. You know, they're assessed based on the test scores or, you know, everything is so closely controlled that, it's not uncommon for them to want to control all the variables so they know what the results are going to be. So they know that, you know, most of the class is going to do well in the exam and there's maybe Johnny and Susie and a few other kids who aren't going to do well, but that's just, that's, that's part of the distribution, the normal distribution, right? They know that. But once you start to give your learners choice, you've created a learning environment where you give them choice. That means you have to let go of control and that can be a scary thing. Mm -hmm. Do you think that as well? Yes, and I think going down that path just could require minor tweaks. This doesn't mean completely rehaul everything that you're doing. You know, give give them some opportunities, some guidance, and what they're what they're looking, what they need to know, but give them opportunities to extend and explore beyond that. Remember those challenge questions? I don't know if this was um, just my time, but there were all these challenge questions at the bottom of my math worksheets when I was growing up, and we just ignored those. And the teacher always said, you know. Just Ignore those. Yeah, we don't need to do those. You know, but those were those were extension activities. Can you draw? Can you create something that also demonstrates this type of learning in the same way? We were always told just ignore those. So, in other words, put a hat or put a cap on anything creative. Just follow this list, and you'll 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 know what you need to know to go on to the next grade level. Oh, going back to that squandering an opportunity that you mentioned. I see it. But we still do it. <laughs> missed opportunities. Well, I think you touched on something that is, is quite important. And earlier on, you had mentioned the notion of discovery and a quite common reaction in, in terms of apprehension for giving learners choice, a 
common reaction, we do see this in, in, in the educational circles is that, well, um, if, if I give my learners choice, well, that means uh, it's completely hands off total discovery learning, total pandemonium. The students can do whatever they want. No. Guidance. It's guided discovery. You give students the opportunity to choose within guidance, within a structure. You can still give the students freedom to choose within the context of, well, you're choosing a project that is going to benefit your community. So if you're working in mathematics or science, there's going to be a context. It isn't open, open, you know, free, game discovery you know and and one thing that just baffles me is that there's usually that response so you mean choice that you go to an extreme no let's let's be reasonable here let's recognize that you know if you're dealing with social if you're dealing with science if you're dealing with with whatever topic it is that you're you're dealing with there is a context and within the context there is choice so you you know you always have the context, and again, this goes back to the notion of changing our focus. So if we've got authentic learning opportunities that we're looking at up ahead, providing the context for what we're doing, well then the, then the choice really comes into play. In well, how is this going to benefit my community? Is this really going to solve a real world problem? Who needs to be involved? There's all these questions that involve choice, and so you're choices that you're making or the choices the students are making are informed by the context of the project. And so it isn't just total anarchy and willy-nilly. Um, and it, it often baffles me why people react that way, one extreme to the next, one extreme to the next. Uh, and it shouldn't be that way. So we have to remind people that there's a context. There's an authentic learning opportunity that provides a context for that choice. So you know, when we look at this idea, COVA, right? providing that significant learning environment, creating that significant learning environment, providing that students are giving choice, ownership, and voice through authentic learning opportunities. It's a framework. All those pieces need to be in play. Very, very important that you address all those pieces um, and you are able to step back and take a look at that environment where you create that. <clears throat> and if you don't have all those pieces, you just slip back into information regurgitation because it, it works. Hey, if you look at Hattie's research, we live in the most amazing time to be a learner. Learners can learn almost anything in spite of what we do to them. <laughs> so, you know, that's a wonderful uh, way to, to get ourselves off the hook, so to speak. Learners can learn, but they can learn so much more if we give them choice, ownership, and voice. And that choice is so, so important. Um, right now, I'm seeing that in my, my boys. I'm, my classical um, anecdotal observational experimentation that's happening in my family. You know, my boys are, are building businesses right now and there's so many choices that have to happen on a daily basis. There's so many choices and some of the choices can cost them tens of dollars, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars. And, and when you're making choices that have a significant impact on your bottom line, um, it's, it's really important that you've got some experience to be able to base that upon. And fortunately, I, you know, I have created that environment where my boys had the opportunity to continually work with real world learning opportunities. And so now when, when their choices have financial consequences, um, it's actually working out not too bad. And, and there's a couple of times that where I've seen, you know, my younger son say, oh boy, it's a good thing I've done this before. 
in another context. You know, he's no longer as anxious as he was. And um, because he's actually looking at how, you know, his business can grow based on the choices that he's making, he's seeing how important it is for him to actually not be paralyzed by analysis and to make some choices and to go with it. And guess what? If you make a mistake, he can still recover. So that choice and that ability to learn how to choose, if we don't do that at an early age or even at a later age with our learners, we're not preparing them for life. And that's a mistake. That's a big mistake. And that's an easy, well, easier said than done, choice we can make um, to, to start thinking a little bit differently about you know this topic of choice and how important it is it's easy to just make a quick decision an impulsive decision and overlook its impacts but i like i like the idea of when you go back to your to your sons and talking about that um, paralysis because of the analysis you know so we have to step back and re-examine some of the choices that we're making um, in, in classrooms in life and realize we're going to make mistakes you know this is it's how you make decisions that that help you move on and move ahead. It's that failing forward concept. When I think of teachers in classrooms, very, very few, very few teachers, I remember back when I was in high school, um, very few teachers, maybe a science teacher, maybe a math teacher, would put us into groups and say, okay, here's the problem. Each group needs to come up with their own way to solve it. You know, and, and that to me is preparing people for life. You have to collaborate, you get feedback from each other, you make choices. Um, what's your next move, how, you know, those types of things. And I feel that if we're not giving our learners those opportunities, then they're struggling to make decisions outside of school because no one, and I tell all students this, no one is going to hand you a map or hand you step-by-step uh, -step directions on how to run a school or how to, you know, be a technology director in your district and what to do or here, here's exactly how your learners are going to learn. This is what you need to do. There's no recipe for that. So why are we constantly following these recipe and regurgitation models when there's no recipe for life? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it's, it's something that, I, I think we're at a point now with AI, uh, being very, very significant right now. And, and, and AI is a hot topic right now. If you take a look at the Gartner Harp cycle, hype cycle, rather, uh, I've been looking at AI. Um, I'm working on a, on a post dealing with some ideas with AI. And if you can standardize and automate something in terms of information regurgitation and, and you know, giving something back, well, guess what? That's the realm of AI. So if we are only asking our learners to operate in the notion of giving back information, regurgitating information, we are putting them in a position where we're jeopardizing their future. Because if they're only accustomed to doing that standardized information regurgitation, that is the realm of AI. That is what AI is all about because it's a list of rules. If it can be standardized. So it, it really, just concerns me to no end as I've been looking into this more and more. Critical analytical thinking, looking at problem solving, identifying audiences, identifying needs. AI can't do that because a lot of those things aren't 
easily defined and they aren't broken down into a, a, a series of steps and rules. And there has to be a certain uh, amount of um, human intervention in the sense that there's guesswork, there's guesstimation, estimation. There's a variety of things that has, have to happen. The human beings have the capacity to analyze so many diverse things that AI can't do. So if we keep on going down this path of asking students to regurgitate information, we're asking them to compete with AI. I think it's a, it's a horrible mistake that we're making. And, and we're not preparing them for life. Not only we're we not preparing them for life, I would argue, and, and I'm not the only one, I would, not the only one, you take a look at people like Seth Godin, take a look at other futurists, a lot of these people are arguing if we are asking students to go down this information retrieval regurgitation model, we are essentially putting them in a position where they're going to be replaced by AI. And that's a, that's a horrible mistake. I, I think we have to take a hard look at what we're doing. I know in the DLL program, we're making the argument we're changing the world one learner at a time. We're making the argument that we're preparing students for the real world. We're doing these things but our program is a little bit of an anomaly. What we do is a little bit different. We're not the norm, we're not the standard approach. And it's that standard approach, it's that norm, it's that standard approach where AI really rules supreme and I think we're making a huge mistake. What are your thoughts on that? I, you know, I didn't think of it in terms of that, but now that you bring that to light, the, the word kept coming up, machine, machine, machine. Are we turning our kids into machines? You know, and there's an entire affective side to us as humans that AI will never understand. They might say something to make you think, you know, Alexa or uh, Siri might say something to make you think, you know, they understand or they're helping you problem solve, but really they're, that's the human dimension side. It can't come from anywhere other than our brain. I don't see how we could reconstruct a brain in any way to do what the human brain can do. And, and that effect, affective side is so important in, in emotionally connecting with people, making choices and decisions. It's all interrelated. So I didn't really consider that. So thank you for bringing that to light. Um, I'll remember that the next time uh, somebody <laughs> haggles me on uh, whether or not I'm giving them a, a choice or you know, whether they want that choice. So. Well, as I, as I mentioned, I'm working on a, a post dealing with AI, and believe it or not, it, it, it really deals with something as simple as a spell checker and a grammar checker. And, and right now, as, as wonderful as Grammarly says that they are, the reality is, is that because of the human inference required to take a look at speech and to take a look at writing, grammar checkers don't work. They actually, they, it's, it's one area where AI is just stumbling horribly because of the human's unique capacity to make that inference, to connect a whole bunch of things in ways that people don't completely understand. You know, grammar, yes, there's rules based on grammar, but there's so much more to the way that we communicate and the way that we think that is based on so much more than algorithms and just hard rules. You know, spell checkers, yeah. You know, Grammarly, companies like that do a wonderful job. Word, Word Perfect, you know, for 20 years ago, did a great job of spell checking to some extent. Uh, but you can, you can still trick a spell checker. But when it comes to grammar, it's shocking to see just how far or how little progress 
has been made. And, and when, I, when I share this post with you, you'll see from it, 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 it just, it blows me away. And, and I'm one who's constantly looking for a better tool, right? Anything that'll help me with passive voice. But really, it's not going to be a tool. It's, it's, it's you working with me as my editor. It's me working with you as your editor. You know, this set of eyes because of the capacity we have to make these inferences, to connect things together that often aren't based on a simple algorithm of rules the complexity of our human nature and our human capacity is amazing it's, it's just so amazing and and as optimistic as the ai people are the the if you look beyond some of the hype a lot of the ai folks are saying wow human capacity the human dimension is something amazing maybe we need to stop looking at a, a, a figuring out AI from, you know, replicating the human brain because that it works in a very different way. Maybe AI has to go down a different path, right? So anyways, this post will be interesting, but you know, I, I think we have to really take a look at, are we running that risk? Are we running that risk of putting our students in a position where they're competing with AI? And I know we're not doing that in the DLL program, but I think we also have to bring to people's attention that the standardized form of instruction, information regurgitation, you know, information retrieval, the information-based model that we're currently using has dire ramifications. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're not the only voice. There's a lot of other voices out there, but I think we have to actually scream a little bit louder from the rooftops that we're running this risk. So what other risks do you see with not giving students choice? Do you see other issues or other dynamics that, that um, we're, you know, limiting our learners with? You know, I'm, I'm pretty, I think we've covered the topic pretty well. I'm not thinking of anything right off the, the top of my head. Um, covered several areas. Now, one of the things I've been thinking about doing, what, if you could just give our listeners one major takeaway, what's the most important thing with respect to giving learners choice from your perspective. And then I'll, I'll add my component. Uh, it might just simply be a ditto and then we'll, we'll wrap up. So what, what do you think, you know, if, if, if our listeners could only, you know, remember one thing, one or two things, what would that be? I think that if you want learners to really invest in learning and who they are and their futures, you have to give them opportunities for choice so that they'll take ownership and become autonomous learners. They'll be self-directed, self-regulated. They'll be able to solve problems, issues. That to me is the most important takeaway, I think, when giving those learners this choice. They have to be able to invest in themselves in some way and invest in others and invest in the bigger picture. They have to have a stake in that. Otherwise, it just defaults to what we're used to, and that's following a rubric, following the instructions. So for me, ownership and autonomy and learning, which goes back to Pink's ideas with mastery and purpose and those bigger picture perspectives, all of that's kind of tied up together. It's not an ECO, but it's tied up together. <laughs> um, and so getting students to go down that path is what's so important for me, even teaching the first course in the program. So they'll take ownership and be, become build autonomy that's 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 what i think you oh listen um i'm going to take what you've said and and emphasize the same thing in the sense that choice really 
helps people to make that autonomous um, identification with what it is that they're doing. And, and it's so important for the student to take ownership. But I, I, I want to actually help our learners uh, and help our listeners in one more context. So in order to get to that choice, in order to give the students that ability to be, um, to take ownership, creating that context for learning through authentic learning opportunities, I think is one of the easiest ways to do that. So like you said, it's part of the whole package. It's not a, a neat tidy thing there's many variables but that ownership comes if a student has the ability to choose something that's real and those authentic learning opportunities really provide that context for choice and ownership and then voice so yeah i, I think it, it kind of goes back to the whole csle plus cova framework so uh, i think it's working it's working so listen it's been a pleasure talking to you about this i'm excited and um I'm glad that we chose to deal with choice today. <laughs> Sorry for the pun. And I guess it's time for us to sign off. So take care.